Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, and welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I hope that the final throes of summer are going well for you and you are as active and feisty as ever. Today's episode is one that I've been visioning for a while. I really wanted to take a deep dive into the various methods of birth control and how they affect our physical and sports performance as women. As you can imagine, finding the right person with the right knowledge on this topic was difficult. But as always, if you put something out there, often the right thing comes back to you. And in this case, the right thing, quote unquote, came in the form of Alison Campbell, our guest today. I met Alison at the Female Athlete Conference in Boston earlier in the year. And when she told me she was doing her PhD on a topic related to birth control and athletes, I immediately asked her to join me on the podcast. And today is the day. Allison tells us about the research she is doing, how hormonal contraceptives affect us as active women. We talk about our own experiences with hormonal birth control and also what she recommends for athletes and active women. Allison, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. We met a couple of weeks ago in Boston at the Female Athlete Conference. Did you enjoy the conference as much as I did? Oh my gosh. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to, to chat today. Um, and yeah, I just, every time someone asks me about how the conference went, it's just amazing, awesome. Um, I'm running out of um, <laughs> descriptors <Right. laughs> um, to convey just how great of an experience it was, I think, especially being um, surrounded by such inspiring and um, motivating researchers and clinicians, um, but also that very encouraging at the same time. So um, it was it was so easy to go up to people and chat and everyone was really encouraging about my work um, when I opened up to them. So I think it was just such a positive atmosphere where I learned so much too at the same time. So that was super cool. Amazing. What are some of the main things that you would say that you learned? Like as someone who's kind of immersed in these types of topics all the time, was there anything surprising or that you learned? Oh, yeah. I think um, 
it's funny because like, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get, we'll definitely get into my research area. We definitely later will. On. Yeah. Um, but I think that for me, it's largely the stuff that's kind of adjacent to what I'm doing, where it's like, I'm interested in the physiology side of things, but I also have a passion for kind of the social cultural side of things. And so being able to sit and listen to some of the talks, um, particularly the intersectionality panel, um, where we're able to have um, discussions about things like using inclusive language in sport, especially that's such an issue. Um, And I know kind of disclaimer kind of for this episode is that my work is is physiology based so we tend to stick with sex male and female because we're talking about female hormones and those assigned female at birth um and at the same time sport is quite binary as well obviously with men and women or boy boy and girl categories and so um discussing things that we can do to kind of make both sport and science um the most inclusive space possible um just gets my mind churning and um and excited for kind of where we're going so Totally. Okay. And I, am going to ask about your research and your PhD work, but I want to know first, like, are you an athlete yourself? Where did this interest in exercise physiology sort of come from? Yeah, I, <laughs> I hesitate to identify myself as an athlete right now. Cause I don't know if uh recreational adult dodgeball counts. As- <laughs> oh, it totally counts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you do recreational, yeah. hold on, recreational adult <laughs> dodgeball. There's like a league. Yeah, there's actually multiple leagues in Vancouver. Um, And yeah, we've been in for a couple of seasons, um, a group of friends, uh, co-ed group. And yeah, it's it's fun. Um, We all. um, So to kind of backtrack to actually answer your question. um, Yes, I I grew up as an athlete, um, started off with um, swimming and um, soccer um, and then kind of evolved those two into what became my sport, which was water polo. Um, oh, so that love the team sport aspect, love being in the water. So as soon as I found, found the sport, I kind of fell in love and um, yeah, played all throughout high school, um, played with the junior national team in Canada for a couple of years um, and then went on to the university of Maryland and Indiana university where I played um, in college. Wow. I bet you're good. Oh, that's why you'd be good at dodgeball. Because <laughs> so, you don't so have do- to like tread water while you're throwing the ball. You can just whack it straight at someone. The dodgeball <laughs> team is all former water polo players and their <laughs> respective spouses. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. And then at what point did you sort of become more interested in the exercise physiology piece specifically? Yeah, I think it started as I was getting into college and trying to decide what I wanted to do. Um Biology 12 was my favorite course, which here in BC is um, largely human anatomy and physiology focused. And that was always my favorite. And I kind of thought, well, I really like that class. I really like sports. I'll major in kinesiology. That seems to make sense. (laughs) Um, So that's, that's where I started for my undergrad degree. And the program at Maryland was really great because it gave a very broad look at kinesiology. I think a lot of the times when we think of kinesiology, we think of you know, strength and conditioning, and we think of physiotherapy or um, athletic training um, and more of like kind of the musculoskeletal side of things, which honestly is what I thought when I, when I signed up for the degree. Um, But I was able to take courses like, you know, biomechanics, exercise physiology, and then the sociocultural side. So the sociology of sport, history of sport were actually required courses for me to oh, take. Wow. I love and that. And so like that kind of developed that passion for that side of things as well. Um, 
And so, and funnily enough, exercise physiology was not my best course in my undergrad, um, but then went on to do my master's um, in exercise physiology and kind of really fell in love with being in the lab and um, and working with athletes on that side of things. Um, but yeah, since I, since I started pretty much since high school, I was volunteer coaching in that side of things. So I was involved in kind of working with athletes and being an athlete myself, um, but then kind of combining that like love of sport and the physiology in the lab was um, really cool. And I think that's why I maybe didn't do as well in my undergrad because it's so theoretical. And then once you get in the lab, when you're, when you're doing your grad work, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of get into it. Right. Interesting. Okay. So tell us about your PhD project that you have on the go right now, right? You're working yeah, on it for now. sure. So yeah, I'm um PG candidate at SFU, Simon Fraser University um, in Burnaby, British Columbia. And I am co-supervised by Dr. Anita Cote um, at Trinity Western and uh, Dr. Victoria Clayton here at SFU. Um, and we're looking at female athletes and their cardiac structure and function and athletic performance through different hormonal profiles. Um, so we're looking at things like changes with puberty, changes throughout the menstrual cycle, and uh, changes with hormonal contraceptive use. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a huge topic. I mean, <laughs> because, you know, we often talk about like female physiology and how it's like, um, I don't know, I don't want to like continue the myth that it's like, we're more complicated than men, but like there are different, there's like a lot of life stages. There's a lot of like, our hormonal profiles look different if we're in different phases of life or if we're on um, hormonal contraceptives, you know, how did, can you unpack that a little bit? Like, so cardiac, so that has to do with like, cardio training. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, specifically in Anita's lab, uh, we use echocardiography to assess the structure and function of the heart. Um, so we're doing ultrasound imaging um, to get a good idea of how your heart is functioning. So we can do um, basic measures um, like stroke volume. So how much blood is being ejected to your heart, out of your heart each beat. We can measure the thickness and the mass of your heart. Um, and then we can also do some more advanced calculations that look at how the heart is moving and functioning um, based on kind of how it twists and contracts and that sort of thing. Right. Okay. So are you finding connections then between various like life stages for women or pl places in their hormone cycle where things are different or the use of contraceptives? So we haven't quite got into uh, testing in the lab with my projects yet. So okay. check in and <laughs> after the okay. next female athlete conference and maybe I'll have some results on that side of thing. Yeah. Uh, but we, what we have started doing is my first project I went on and to kind of assess the reproductive health landscape among Canadian athletes. So we did a survey. Mm -hmm. Actually, we are still doing a survey. It's still mm -hmm. open. So um, any athletes out there Oh, yeah. Can you send us a link? Can I can definitely send notes? you a link. And Great. that would be, yeah, um, kind yeah. of any level of competitive athlete. Um, huh. We'd love to hear from people about what they're doing because we really want the research to be informed by the athlete themselves, the participants themselves, and not just measuring things that we think might be interesting, but we want to find answers for um, athletes. And I, I know the answers that I wanted when I was an athlete, but that might have changed. That was, again, a long time ago. Um, hmm. Uh, that I stopped playing water polo. So, um, so yeah, I think that um, by gathering that information, so things like when did you start your period? How regular are your periods? How long are they? What kind right. of symptoms do you experience? What kind of contraception are you taking? Were you given options when you were prescribed a hormonal contraceptive by your doctor? What motivates you to take it? That sort of thing. Um, so kind of trying to combine the physiology of it and um, 
kind of the situation or the more qualitative side um, that the athletes are in and in making these decisions. Right. So you said that there were, there were answers you wanted as an athlete. Mm-hmm. What were like what were like your sort of longstanding questions or things that you experienced? I think just the main would be, and we've heard this because we asked athletes what they want to know is, you know, what is the best type for of contraceptive for me to be using as an athlete? Is there anything that's going to impede my performance? Um, and I think that was it. That was me in particular. I knew. Um, so I personally, um, after a lot of trial and error ended up on an IUD, a hormonal IUD. Mm -hmm. And for me, that felt like it was the best option, but I didn't know, you know, whether that affected my heart function. I don't know if that affects my vascular function or, um, my VO2 levels, that sort of thing. So I think that, um, not so much, is this going to help me, but is this going to hinder me? Um, kind of flipping right. it on, on, not so much using it as an ergogenic aid, but, um, and I think from, from what we've heard so far, I think that might be the case for a lot of people, but um, yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that hormonal contraceptives might be hindering more than they're helping. Is that? Yeah. Well, not so much that, that that's, that's what the athletes want to know if they are right. So like, right. Um, oh, I see. That's yeah, the like, main question I'm, is I'm like, taking, is this holding ta- me back? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the App Store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code feisty for two months of full premium access. That's right. You get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code feisty F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. 
So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. So can you just for our audience outline like the various types of contraceptives? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of the times um, when someone says birth control, um, often the first thing that comes to mind is the pill. And most people are, if they're taking a hormonal contraceptives, because of course there are hormonal methods and non-hormonal methods. So I'll back up a little bit there. So your, right. your non-hormonal methods, um, 
the th things like barrier methods. So um, both external and internal condoms um, and things like the diaphragm, which I think is a lot less common now than it used to be, um, or non-hormonal IUDs, which is the IUD that has copper. So usually when I talk about the IUD, I'm talking about the hormonal one, just um, as an aside there. But yes, the and then when we're talking about the hormonal methods, usually we think about the pill or oral contraceptives. Uh, most people are on those, but other the other methods are rising. So we have, we can kind of divide them into two groups. We have our short acting reversible contraceptives or SARC, S-A-R-C methods or LARC methods, long acting reversible contraceptives. So our short actings are things like vaginal rings, mm -hmm. um, the uh, dermal patch, uh, the patch of uh, hormones that goes on your skin. Um, and then our... Um, long acting reversible contraceptives are our hormonal IUDs. And then the, um, I believe the brand name is Nesplanon, uh, the arm implant, um, which is, it's a, a hormonal, uh, long acting method as well. Just, I think approved in Canada back in 2020. Um, so we can kind of divide them into, to those groups there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you think that the hormonal contraceptives affect exercise performance? Is there a working theory, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking. So as far as where we're at, as far as knowledge on the topic right now, there was a meta-analysis done uh, back in 2020, um, and they looked at just specifically oral contraceptives. It's, again, easier to find participants with that because um, mm -hmm. it's the most common type. Um, and they found a trivial de decrease in performance um, in those that are using oral contraceptives compared to those that are not. Um, they then went on to highlight that a lot of the research in this area is towards the lower end of the quality scale um, and publish also uh, methodological recommendations going forward to um, conducting research with female athletes so that we can look into this deeper to see, um, you know, whether there is an effect that we're not seeing or there's something that's getting washed out due to the, the difference in quality. Um, right. I believe of the, all the studies in the meta-analysis. So that's when we compile a bunch of different uh, research papers on one topic and like actually take the data and analyze the results together as a group. Um, I believe one, maybe two of them were uh, randomized control trials where they had people that weren't taking them um, and then either gave them a placebo or an oral contraceptive pill um, and then uh, assess the differences. And they did find um, a small difference there. Um, but I think the main thing and is that again, that lack of a lack of a, a hindrance is the, the one thing. And, and, and coming from the survey, it seems that a lot of people are using it not because they're, again, think that, that it will help them, but they think that their period symptoms will hurt them. Or it's more oh, about managing the symptoms and managing, yeah. like knowing when you're going to menstruate or in the case of the hormonal IUD, a lot of people don't menstruate at all uh, mm -hmm. with that method. So you don't even have to worry about like if it's game day, if it's race day and you've got your period because mm -hmm. you don't have one. Um, and I think that that's why I'm really interested in, in diving into that because it's like that seems like a huge benefit to me. It was a huge benefit to me as an athlete of not having to worry about that and someone that suffered pretty severe symptoms with my period. 
that that was great to not have to worry about migraines and cramps and nausea and, and potentially having to perform. But at the same time, maybe there's something going on in physiology that I'm not aware of. And so to be able to like find an answer there um, is kind of what what drives me. Yeah, that's so interesting. So did you use a hormonal IUD to stop those symptoms yourself of like kind of your menstrual symptoms? Is that Yeah, so my my journey with contraceptives started on the pill as most people do. Yeah. Um and that actually made them worse. Right. Oh, uh, that made my Great. symptoms worse. Yeah. Um and then um my doctor prescribed and actually this was one of the ones I forgot to mention that the shot. So that's it's kind of in between short acting and long acting because most of them it's um like the pills you take for 3 weeks and you stop uh the vaginal ring 3 weeks and then you stop um there are some that you can you can cycle as well. Um uh, but the shot at least when I was taking it was every 3 months. So a little bit longer, um a little li- less kind of daily needing to keep up with it and that sort of thing. Um, but there are some issues with that when it comes to bone mineral density. Um, mm. my doctor at the time wasn't worried about it for me so much. Cause I was also doing more load bearing sports as well. Um, but I think that's becoming less of a choice. Um, you also have to get an injection every, every three months. And so, um, I think the ease of the IUD that kind of like set it and forget it type method that, um, honestly, I learned about in a health class in university. I didn't know that that was an option to me. I took a woman's health class and I'm so glad I did. Cause I, I think that coupling that with my interest in exercise physiology and athletes is kind of what put me on the path that I'm on now, where it's like, oh, I'm a like 22 year old woman. And I had no idea that this was an option for me. And then I went to my doctor who actually the doctor that I started with, he retired a new younger doctor that may be a little bit more aware of, uh, current recommendations and that sort of thing was like, yeah, I think that'd be a great fit for you. Um, so yeah, I think that for me, it was like, oh, this is, this is ideal. I don't have to, especially like as in a water sport, like having to deal with like having your period when you're playing and, you know, meetings after the game where you're still sitting in your suit and you're like worrying, like you have to have your teammates check, like, Oh gosh, am I leaking? Like wrapping the towel around yourself. Like it's just, just this, again, the social cultural side that it's like, it's not just the physiology. It's got to think about what's going on with the athlete as a whole. And I think for me that like finding the answers to like the best contraception in that context is, is important. Yeah. I, it's, it's incredibly important. I mean, I think sometimes we underestimate like the difference that birth control has made in the lives of women broadly, like mm-hmm. probably a part of the reason that we're able to like participate in sports throughout our lives is that we're actually able to control when and why and how and with whom we, yeah. we have a baby. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like quite this interesting connection to go like, it's very quick. Like sometimes we're very quick to, to assume that that that's always been there, you know, but like, it's not that long ago when like women didn't have those choices, you know? So it's a kind of like a, it's like a revolution. <laughs> for Yeah. Women. And it yeah. was right. And I think too, I think that sometimes, and I know that there's a large push now on social media, like, Oh, don't put any hormones in your body. Hormones right. are bad. And well, I think it, it merits investigation because obviously I'm doing the research, but, but the, again, that, that liberty and that freedom Mm -hmm. that gave to people that are assigned female at birth that, that you can, you can dictate when and if 
yeah. you want to carry a child is 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 huge. I mean, especially in in the context of everything that's going on today with uh, reproductive rights. Yeah. That, um, it's it's so important not to not to forget that we kind of don't exist in vacuums. As like, I'm not I'm not doing research with cells in a petri dish. They're they're, they're right. human beings that um, have to go about the world and live their lives. So. Um, yeah. yeah. And I also like, kind of like you, I'm, I'm a bit older than you, but you know, I wish like I started on a, on a low dose hormone IUD when I was 40 and I had just retired from professional sport. And now looking back, like I had, a, by that time, you know, I'm 47 now, that was seven years ago. I had a lot of friends who were, um, who were still doing like Ironman triathlon professionally or triathlon professionally. And they had all, they were, everyone was kind of migrating to the low dose hormone IUD, Mm -hmm. um, partially because of what you said, like knowing, like actually a lot of people then stopped getting a period. Yeah. Right. Which helps so many people. Right. And also I would have loved to have that, the opportunity to test the theory that like, I think it reduced my symptoms. So like even those couple days before getting my period, I'd be super flat and training. Like, and I couldn't, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to race on those days. I wasn't going to be able to race well, I should say, on those days, um, just because something was going on. Still don't know what um, <laughs> that like it, with my hormones that wouldn't allow me to do that. Um, and so I feel like a lot of those symptoms were kind of like flattened, right? Um, or kind of reduced, I guess is the right word. And how how close are we? Like, what's the state of research? How close are we to having those kind of answers that female athletes might want? I think there's, I mean, being at the conference in Boston, like there's, there's so many people all across the world doing so many great research right now. And I feel like, I don't know, just by the energy in the room, I feel like with stuff like that, we're on the cusp, but like, um, I think the big thing too is, and kind of linking back to talking about the the quality of the research, because people have been studying female athletes. I don't know. Um, Anthony Hackney at, at, um, at UNC had a couple talks at the conference and I've heard him speak a couple times before and uh, mentioned that, you know, this isn't new. Uh, people have been studying this for a while. I think there's a tendency that uh, because there is more attention on the the research right now that, you know, there, there is a lot of people that came before us. We, we certainly stand on the shoulders of giants. And, um, but I think that when we talk about the quality of the research, it, the big thing is the funding that, you know, if you're talking about controlling for the menstrual cycle, you know, that's a, that's, or testing at different phases of the menstrual cycle. That's a number of different time points where you want to capture different hormonal profiles. That's a number of different times that you have to bring participants in and hopefully compensate them for their time. Um, that's materials that you need to use. That's your time and research in the health sphere across the board is underfunded in women. Um, there's more and more papers coming out each day, whether it's you're researching female health outcomes or female sports science outcomes. Um, if you are, um, a woman in science doing research as a PI or as a person apply, applying for this funding. So I think that the push, and there is more opportunities now specifically looking into, um, women's research and, and female athlete, uh, research that, that will help. Um, but I think that's, that's the big piece is, is, is the funding and that right. I think the, uh, the floodgates, I think are, are close to opening. And I mean, hopefully I can be a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it's, I, I, yeah, I'd love there to be answers soon. <laughs> yeah. 
more answers soon, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about this study that came out. It actually came out the week of the conference, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was real. I was kind of surprised that you know the main stage panel about um, contraceptives that they didn't mention this. Yeah. Um, and because and partially like it's personal for me because this was my experience, but I definitely had an experience of being on uh, the pill essentially and having a mood change right and not really realizing it happened twice in my life and so like the second time I was on the pill I realized that oh this is what's causing my depression right like the first time I was like diagnosed with clinical depression went to counseling and I look back on that now like in my when I was around 1920 and I think was that just the pill because the second time I went on the pill it was very obvious right it was like what changed a couple months into being on the pill I asked myself like what did I do why am I suddenly feeling depressed um, and depressed? Like when I say that, I mean, like really that feeling of like something switched in my brain and I went from being a happy person to not being a happy person and what happened. And then I went off the pill and it stopped. And so I saw this study and was like, oh, finally, like they've linked, you know, um, the pill to depression in some people. Um, what do you think? Of, do you see that study? And what did you think about it? Yeah, I took it, like, you sent it my way. And actually, I think I remember we were chatting about that at the conference as well. Right. But... I, I was talking to everybody about it. Yeah, I was like, like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I would say, fortunately, that I, you know, had, when I was, at least when I was in high school, um, you know, my relationship with my mental health kind of started a little bit later in life as far as uh, the issues that I, I'm currently dealing with anxiety. Um mm-hmm. But so I didn't have that personal experience as far as the um, kind of relationship with with uh, hormonal contraception and and mental health and whether it's depression or anxiety um, or any other mood disorder. Um, but I think it's it's one of those things where and people always bring up um, the trials of like male birth control that it's like, oh, it gets shut down because there are so many side effects <laughs> and which is like, it's so infuriating, but at the same time, the reason is, is because they don't have any side effects to, to pregnancy because they, they don't get pregnant. And so you have to like, these things are evaluated at your like baseline level if you're not taking them. And so I think like, especially with, you know, a lot of people experience mental health issues during pregnancy and postpartum as well. And so that's why, not that it's okay, but I think that's why that a lot of these things we don't know about them. Cause it's like, well, yeah, I guess like <laughs> people might experience that, but they also might experience it pregnant. And so like, right. I think now we're finally coming around to like, and maybe it might be spurred a little bit by the fact that like, okay, well, like bal- the balancing act between like, who's responsible for contraception of like, okay, if we have to deal with this, like, let's, let's look into this a little bit more and make sure that, you know, we're protecting people. And again, like talking through their options with them, because that was one thing that came out, has come out so far about the survey is that like a lot of athletes or people in general, I would assume aren't really having a conversation with their doctor, or they don't really know how to have a conversation with their doctor because they're not being given options. They say, Hey, I want to go on birth control. And to the doctor, that means the pill and they get their prescription and they go off. And there's no conversation of like, and asking, and I think I'm hoping that the way doctors are, are being trained now that like, those are questions that you're asking, not just like, Oh, are you taking it regularly? Do you have any worse, like 
cramps or your, how's your cramps, how's your bleeding, that it's like the, the mental health check should be in there as well, because maybe we can find a, a method that works better for you, or maybe non-hormonal is, is, is what's best for you. But I think it's one of those things that kind of has to be, um, a con- first people have to be informed and then doctors have to be informed to have those conversations with their patients as well. Yeah. It's so it's interesting that you said about the people aren't being informed. Like I th- that was exactly my experience. Like when I was 16 years old, um, I don't know why I end up with these tests. I must've had some symptoms and I had a hormone panel done, whatever that is. And it came out that like my testosterone was like just above what female normal is, you know, which now when I look at those numbers online, I'm like, it still was like nowhere near, like the male numbers are like way off, you know, like slightly above shouldn't even be a concern to anyone. <laughs> it should be like, great. You might be slightly better at sports or something, right? Like, but instead the doctor, I was 16, the doctor put me on birth control. Right. And then I think I'm like, Oh, I had all kinds of crazy symptoms. Cause it was, I think, and obviously like the pills were different back then, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, there's I, so many different kinds. Yeah. Like I must've had a higher dose. I must've had a pretty high dose pill. I would guess because I know they've got lower kind of over the, the decades since then. But like, I, you know, I had, I was like started lactating like, <laughs> Yeah. Like I was producing like milk from my breasts <laughs> for, wow. for, and like, and then, then the depression, which I didn't connect. Yeah. Right. And then we changed the pill and the depression stayed and I stopped, I stopped producing milk, but like, it's, it's like, it seems weird. Like, how did that even get, you know? And I remember having to bring it up, like having to go. So mom, yeah, <laughs> like, I think I'm having a side effect to that. I'm producing milk. <laughs> like, yeah. What a weird thing to have to do as a 16 year old. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like that education piece is so important. And now that I found like that low dose IUD that just works so well, I'm like, why didn't, I mean, I know that it's changed a lot since then, but why didn't we know about this? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so what would you like, based on everything that you've kind of seen and learned, um, what would you suggest for athletes who are looking for birth control and like potentially looking for something? I mean, we've, we went over a few, actually, there was a few, there's a few things we talked about there because one, as they brought up at the conference, like being pregnant affects your performance. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So like what, you know, um, if you don't want to get pregnant, birth control is a great idea. Um, and then second, like you have that question of how your, like how your birth control is going to affect your performance. Right. And then you have the third part, which is like how you could potentially use birth control to control what's happening with your cycle so that you know that you're going to hit a certain part, part of the month and at on race day or game day or whatever that is. Like, what do you suggest for athletes? I think that across the board, that it's it's just a very individualized approach. So like you said, there's, there's all these factors that you need to consider. Um, A lot of athletes, I think, I think pregnancy prevention still is a strong concern. And so with a, um, a method like uh, an IUD or the arm implant where they're highly, highly effective, um, that's great. Um, but you know, maybe, and here I'm toting the advantages of the IUD, um, cause I've had a positive <laughs> experience. Same. But, so we're like an IUD positive. Yeah. Right after. I know a lot of, I know people that it didn't work out for them. Yeah. Um, and, and the insertion is, is not a pleasant experience. And that's another thing as far as, uh, like mm-hmm. taking women's pain seriously that, yeah. um, you know, that, that 
procedure should be anesthetized. A lot of the time it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that could be a cause for concern for people and that's, that's okay too. Um, and then, yeah, you get into the like performance slash period management again, that it just depends on, on what you're looking for. And then again, like kind of tying to the pregnancy prevention that it depends who you're having sex with, um, and whether it's in a monogamous situation. So there might be some female athletes that, um, are having sex with women and still are on an IUD for that, um, that period management piece. Um, uh, conversely, um, if you are in a, I guess not so much conversely, but if you are in a non-monogamous situation, barrier methods are still very important. <laughs> right. I'm super interested in, in what the hormones do to your physiology, but also STI rates are through the roof now. So having, and I think because we get that, like, oh yes, I'm not going to get pregnant. I have this IUD, this method is so effective. It's like, okay, but, but also there, there are other concerns out there as well. So right. sure having that, an like, STI could affect your performance. <laughs> exactly. It's being around antibiotics, you know, that could pull you yeah. down. So yeah, that, that, that's certainly um, something to take into account. It might not be like a condom might not be your only method, but, um, but yeah, taking that into consideration as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's very much a, get like get in and I my advice would be and there's a website out there that I learned about in this women's health class and anyone anytime anyone asks me um it's bedsider.org um and they break down kind of all of the kind of positives negatives considerations for all methods of contraception so not just hormonal methods mm. and I would encourage people to read and try to figure out where you think might be the best one for you and then have that conversation with your doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have an older doctor that, you know, there was an a type of IUD that is literally no longer on the market anymore that got recalled that it had some issues with it, but that that type doesn't exist anymore, but maybe they were trained at a time where those issues were going on and so they're hesitant to recommend them. There's still a lot of physicians that are hesitant to recommend them to um, people that haven't had children because they think that like it might cause issues there where it, that's not really a, a, a known concern at this time. Right. Um, and so I think that being empowered to, to seek out that information and, and show up as much as you can having a direction, because if you show up, it's kind of fully dependent on, on the physician that you speak to on, like, they might steer you one way or another as well. Um, and also might not have, if you're just seeing your, your GP that might not have any experience with athletes, that might not even cross their mind that it's a consideration for you to maybe they're just thinking pregnancy prevention and you're just like, okay, well, I have concerns with managing my symptoms for sport or whatever it might be related to, to, to you being an athlete. Yeah. And a lot of GPs wouldn't, I can guess from having been, been to see doctors as an athlete might not necessarily take that seriously, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you're concerned. Like they're only concerned about like preventative or they're concerned about like your health and like making sure that 
whatever, like band-aiding your problem or, <laughs> or whatever that is. They're like, but wait, what? Like you want to not have a period so that you can be better at sports? Like, yeah, <laughs> you can see that like not everyone's kind of in that yes, um, definitely. frame of mind. It feels like, you know, and we've concluded this in a number of different episodes on the podcast that like you really do have to be a like a study of one, like N equals one kind of with yourself. Um, and I know that that frustrates some people because talking to a friend of mine the other day, she's like, I can't be a study of N equals one. Like, I can't tell what's going on with my body. I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm failing. But like what you just said there, I really liked about like the quality of information um, knowing, and we'll put that website that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, because if I think back to like 16 year old me, if someone had said, okay, here's the, here's a list of potential side effects of this pill that we're putting you on. Come back to me. Let's talk about this in a month. Come back to me. Let's, you know, and if you'd had, if there'd been a system in place for that, like let's have follow-up or talk to your mom if that's happening and then we can talk about it. Then like the problem would have been resolved much more quickly. Right. And I think that that's true. Same thing as an athlete. I think I would have found that um, low dose progesterone IUD that's working so well for me now. Um, a lot sooner I would have helped my um, athletic career as well. So yeah, I'm definitely, it's frustrating that we don't have like an answer for people, but I don't know. Like, do you think that we ever will? Like we're never going to get a one size fits all answer, obviously, but do you think we'll have like a kind of a, a deck of answers? Yeah. I think, I think the goal would be just like expanding that body of information for people to make decisions for themselves. Because again, it's like, there's, I think oftentimes science in general, you get that one soundbite or that one headline of like, this affects this. And it's often ran with in kind of the general population. Um, but that, you know, it, it might affect this, but again, you are not uh, in the lab as a participant all the time, like you're out, you're living your life. And there are a lot of things that factor into these decisions. And so, you know, as much as we can provide that information to people to make decisions for themselves, yeah. inform decisions for themselves, um, I think is, is, is the goal. So yeah, that, that card deck of, of information is like, or a, f- a flow chart of information of like, is this a concern for you? Yes. Like this method, or no, it's not. Okay. And go on to, to the question, next question, um, I think would be kind of like the ideal situation. Yeah. And the flow chart kind of maybe, um, thanks to people like yourself who are doing that, doing the research, like the flow chart might just get more and more robust as time yes. goes on. Right? Yes. <sighs> yeah. Amazing. As opposed to, uh, are you sexually active? Are you concerned about getting pregnant? Here's a pill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, amazing. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thanks for the work that you do. Um, is there somewhere we can follow you or your work? Uh, yeah, I am on Twitter um, at a J spelled out. So a J a Y Campbell um, on Twitter. Um, I'm, I was super active on Twitter in like my undergrad, but like nothing important to say. Um, and now I'm like wheeling my way back into it. Although it's I might not be in there for long. We'll see how it goes. But it's just such a valuable tool to connect with with other academics, athletes, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, hopefully the, the website doesn't implode. But <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed. <Yeah. laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Allison. 
Great. <laughs> Take care. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.